Welcome to the Cold Pizza Party Podcast. My name is Lubitsa. With me, I have Adam. This is Adam. And joining us for a special Cold Pizza Party liquid flannel crossover, we have Matthew. Matthew, you want to introduce yourself or say hi or both? Hey. Hey. hey this is Yeah, this is Matthew from Liquid Flannel. My, my co-host is out of town this week, so Lubitsa and I chatted a little bit about... She was watching... You were watching just a bunch of terrible, like, made-for-TV Christmas movies, right? Yeah. And I said, yep. ooh, do the one about the ghost next. Oh, we should do an episode about that. Yeah, yeah. So I. So have... here I am. Here <laughs> yeah. I am. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for... It's it's nice to be back with y'all yeah. to talk about even more trash television. Yeah. <laughs> I like this tradition we're creating. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, although I, I really like the idea that I mean, basically, we are the experts at this point on the Heather's TV show. <laughs> yeah. so it's like nobody else in America has seen the entire thing, much less, you know, done a, a critical analysis of it like we have. So, yeah. So it was time to get the gang back together to analyze some more <laughs> shitty TV. Uh, <laughs> I've been watching a lot of these Netflix Christmas movies lately. Um Mainly because I enjoy bad TV, but I've been like shocked at how bad they are uh, because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I like um, like Lifetime TV bad. I think I've talked about that before. But then when yeah. you get t- toward like Hallmark Channel, it starts to get so bad. It's like <laughs> not that fun. Um, so I was interested to see what Netflix had to offer. And I- I'm pretty surprised at how... Um, they went right along that same line of like super traditional stories. You know, we have basically the outline of all of these movies is a very busy lady who is living in the city and she's overwhelmed by her job. And then she, for whatever reason, has to come to the countryside where she's essentially restored, Mm -hmm. where Americans traditionally go back to rural America to... um, Sure to be restored, to get back in touch with our most natural selves. And for the women in these stories, that usually means having a man um, tell them to calm down and <laughs> <laughs> and uh, basically chill out. And um, this movie is really no exception, except that uh, our, our lead character is a ghost. Our lead man is, in fact, a Vermont bootlegging ghost. <laughs> <laughs> An incredibly hunky yeah. Vermont bootlegging ghost. Yeah, he's very built for uh, what I assume was a time period when they did very little uh, gym going. Yeah. <laughs> no right. Well, shakes. also, I mean, he's he's an innkeeper by trade, yeah. so I don't I don't think that he was probably getting a ton of exercise. Yeah. Yeah, there's a scene where she sees him shirtless from behind, and the camera. Ow-oo! Yeah, yeah, you really get the female gaze, you know, the sense of the camera slowly lingering on his uh, muscly back, his, and his strapped back. Yeah, yeah, yeah his like super toned delts and and whatnot. Every, every <laughs> one of these movies has that scene where the woman walks in on the man, and oh, oops, he's shirtless. Yeah. yeah. Now. That part of it I can understand, the the female gaze. I mean, I, I think that it's probably not controversial to argue that 
most of these movies are geared toward a female audience. One thousand percent. So the so yeah, so the female gaze stuff on the on the beefcake, um, whatever the guy is in the show, that's not too surprising. But the the trend of these all being uh, like overworked, fairly emotionally cold, kind of harried women. I know. Um, is that do you? Is there an audience for that? I mean, it's. It, are there that many women out there who are feeling like my job has taken over my life and I can't connect with people anymore? I was really wondering about that because I even like tweeted about that being like, is everybody else just looking for a Christmas proposal and the rest of their lives are like perfect? Because essentially that's the case for most of these women. Like it's not just that they're okay. Yes, they're very busy with their jobs, but they all have like incredible jobs. None of them are just like a grocery store clerk or, you know, a barista right. trying to make it through the end of the month or whatever, you know? It's always, like, a high-power attorney, a realtor. This woman does, like, she's, like, an executor of wills or, or something along those lines. Like, right, yeah. You know? It, it's sort of like how it's sort of like how every down-on-his-luck guy in any romantic comedy is an architect. Yes, yes, exactly. And it's like, man, every other aspect of these people's lives is perfect. So it's hard for me to, like, really relate to that because I feel exactly the opposite. Like, you know, Adam and I met... 11 years ago, our anniversary is tomorrow. <laughs> oh, happy anniversary. <laughs> Thank you. And, uh, you know, we love each other and it's great and everything. But every other part of my life is in complete shambles. I don't know what I'm doing with the rest of my life. You know? <laughs> so <laughs> to me, it's always very strange that this is the one piece of their lives that's like missing or whatever every single time. Because that's just, that's not the... 30-something lady experience that I've had. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, as as awkward and difficult as it often is, like, finding a relationship is probably one of the easier things about being, uh, like, an early millennial or late Gen Xer at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially, like, yeah, graduating into the uh, job market that we graduated into. And um, I, think right. that, I think maybe there's, like, a you know, alert for like the N word, but a neoliberal influence here of these women who are, who I guess there's a sense that you're expected. Like, I actually feel like I learned that when I was even in high school, like that you're not supposed to move for a man or you're supposed to put your career first and make like decisions basically that will allow you to be an independent woman and that that will then eventually lead you into a good, healthy relationship. Because I know when we were like leaving, like graduating college, and then we had to decide whether or not to like move together, that was really stressful for both of us. But I think especially for me, because I felt like, oh my God, am I moving for a man? Am I, you know, changing my life for a man or a relationship? And is that like so not, you know, a feminist or strong? woman way sure. to be you know so i feel like maybe that's what these movies are um reacting to is that a lot of women got that advice and then it turned out that a relationship doesn't just magically appear after you reach a certain you know right. career goal or whatever actually it's harder right. <laughs> well and there's there's also i mean it's it's a fundamentally conservative position right that, yeah uh, a woman who has made her own life and has a fulfilling career that she's really excited about advancing in, it's still fundamentally incomplete 
without the the love of a good man to yeah. you know round out the emotional side of her. Yeah, that's definitely the last thing that's missing uh, for these women. But I do think that the opposite is a problem too, in terms of like how capitalism t- tells us all, you know, essentially like be a worker. That's the first and foremost important thing right. to do, you know. And then that's why I mean like. It's sometimes it's hard to actually prioritize a relationship because everything else in society tells you, no, you're supposed to work later. You're supposed to work on weekends or basically all the free time that you would normally spend nurturing a relationship. You're also told that that's what you're that's when you're supposed to work extra to get ahead, you know, to show your employer you're devoted. So, well, and in the in the case of Kate, our plucky protagonist from The Spirit of Christmas, I mean, it's literally, mm-hmm. I knew that you wouldn't have plans over Christmas because you never do. So, therefore, yeah. I need you to work over all of Christmas. And, at you know, when she's given that assignment, it doesn't even seem like a bummer to her. Is she an orphan? I, I was I wondering about that. Like, she doesn't have... <laughs> She doesn't have brothers or sisters who would invite her to, to Christmas a or anything. Cousin, she just no one. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's the other thing. Speaking of how fundamentally, just before we sort of get into summarizing and talking more specifically about this, which we will do because I assume most people have not seen The Spirit of Christmas. Speaking of how they're sort of fundamentally conservative, one other thing that I find that a lot of these, they're all like, all the, these movies are extremely heteronormative. All of them end with a proposal. But a lot of them have really missed opportunities to be just as sappy as they are, but with like a cool twist. So I tweeted about like the Christmas switch or the princess switch where you have a prince and popper tail and they switch places. And I was saying like, wouldn't it be cool if like the princess now liberated from her traditional, you know, expectations, um, taking on a different persona discovers actually like maybe I'm bi or I'm open to different things or whatever. But in this case, it would be perfect because we have someone that's from a different time period. Like what if instead of a hunky man, we had, you know, a hunky lady who it turns out didn't really fit in her own time, but now can find true love, you know? Wouldn't that be like way higher, better stakes than... I don't know, a guy yeah. who bootlegged or whatever. Yeah, what, 100% this would have been a better queer story yeah. than it is well, as, a, as a hetero story. In one of the first scenes, she's on a date with a man, and he they've been out a few oh, times yeah. or something, and she's telling or he's telling her, we need to break up because you're just not into me. Like, you're not into me. And she's thinking back, and she's like, oh, that's happened in every relationship I've had. Yeah, maybe you're <laughs> right. just not into men. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, literally, like, all they needed to do was cast a woman instead of our hunky uh, Vermonter and uh, a hunky lady, perhaps. And like, Yeah, see, and in the, in the breakup scene, my main thought was that would actually be kind of nice. Like, you're trying to break up somebody, you're trying to let them down easy, and they immediately just rattle off, like, that's exactly what all of my other relationships have said. <laughs> yeah. Like, nope, it, it's true. Yeah. It's, it's not you. It's me. That's yeah. why you're dumping me. It's like, oh, okay. Well, thank you for, like, alleviating all of my, like, guilt and fear about this. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, no, it turns out that I am actually just kind of awful in relationships. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, no harm, no foul. <laughs> so should we get into the plot a little bit? That yeah. might be one of the very first scenes, right? Yeah. And then and then we're taken to her workplace where there's been a rich person died, I guess, and they're trying to sell off the assets. I'm not really clear on what her job is. I don't know that this is a real job, but <laughs> yeah. they just she's, handle she's shit. She's some when kind of dies. a 
She's like a real estate and trusts and estates lawyer. Was uh, it's it's not really made clear, but uh, obviously they're they're trying to execute this trust yeah. to get get rid of this inn uh, up in Vermont. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a job. That's a, that's a thing that a lot of lawyers do is just like real estate transactions and trusts and wills and stuff like that. Yeah, I guess it just wasn't clear to me if she was a realtor or a lawyer or like a will executor because i don't know i think of those because she's trying to get the house sold yeah because then at one well okay it doesn't the, matter and... we got really distracted by the details of this movie adam when he was watching <laughs> it paused literally every five minutes to discuss so <laughs> uh don't if we get too bogged down in the details just tell us like let's move on because we will like get you know that you guys have a, an actual lawyer on the line right now i can break down everything <laughs> okay, that i perfect. know about trust and estates <laughs> and real estate no it, but it's not really that interesting because uh the the summary of that is she gets sent up to vermont to sell this in or have it appraised and then try to get it on the market right yeah. so uh, basically, they haven't been able to get it appraised, and the reason is that every time an appraiser is sent over, they're scared away by a ghost or some spirit or whatever, and so um, she is sent to like specifically like hold the appraiser's hand, basically, while they go through the house so that they get the job done, right? Right. And Which honestly should be about a two-hour job. Yeah. You would think that... Even if the place was haunted, you'd be able to hold it together for two hours just to get this thing done. <laughs> yeah. Especially since we're made to believe that this is like the third or fourth appraiser they've hired. Presumably, they're raising the bid every time, right? I mean, I would assume. Also, like, it's not clear, like, like what have they seen or what, what was done to them? That's never really, like, specified. Like, who is... Well, right. Yeah, and... We're going to have to dig into, like, exactly how many fucking ghosts are yeah. in this place anyway <laughs> yeah. at some point. Yeah. Uh, but so basically, Kate goes up there. She arrives at this, you know, New England-y looking inn. And she, as she walks in, an older man is, like, getting ready to leave who runs the inn. And he tells her, there's no way you can stay here overnight because we all leave the inn from the 13th. Through the 24th. 24th. Yeah, the 12 days of Christmas. Yeah. Right before Christmas. It, it takes him literally three quarters of the movie to figure out the significance of the 12 yeah. days of Christmas. I was like screaming it. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, it's the 12 days of Christmas. <laughs> and they're just like, what? They the literally could have been bringing in like cartloads of different birds and the characters <laughs> still would not yeah. have made the connection. Yeah, they're like, uh, partridges and, and pear trees just being right, shipped yeah. in. Um, maids and milking swing by yeah, and yeah. they're like, huh, this is weird. I didn't know we had milkmaids in Vermont <laughs> during this time of year. Um, yeah, but basically uh, he tells her, no, no, there's no way you can stay here. We all, No one stays at the inn during this time period. I'm leaving within the hour. You got to get out. And then she's, you know, a plucky, stubborn lady who's got a promotion on the line. So she says, um, I have a key. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to like spend the night anyway. You can't tell me anything, old man, because I'm a city lady and I know better than right. you country folk. So, well, at which point he just comes in, he just flat out tells her in this kind of monotone, like everyday voice, like, well, it's because of the ghost. Like, yeah. he's not going to like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and she's and he's like Daniel. You know, he never hurts anyone, but he doesn't like it when people are here. 
and she's like, oh, you're on a first name basis with the ghost. Uh, and he's like, well, you know, I don't, I don't like to talk about it much. I gotta go. And then she's like, okay, screw you. Like, I'm staying. So then she stays and the ghost appears in the first in the night, but she gets a vase knocked over her head and knocks herself out. No, that's when she sees him. Yeah, but that's when he first appears. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She sees him and she like freaks out, hits the dresser thing. What do you yeah. call that? Armoire kind of, kind of thing. Yeah. And a vase falls onto her head like a Looney Tunes movie. An incredibly heavy vase, by the yeah. way. That thing, <laughs> that thing doesn't break when it hits her head. It doesn't break when it hits the floor. However, it, it does appear to weigh something like 85 pounds. <laughs> yeah, it's like a straight up miracle that she's still alive, at, that she hurts Self is not the Christmas ghost. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she wakes up the next morning. There's a guy in there. He's like. He's a hunk. He's got suspenders on. Yeah. Adam, he looks like he's a, playing the piano. Yeah. He's just sitting at the piano, just playing like jingle bells or something. Yeah. And he's, was, he's dressed like he makes uh, cocktails at a oh, speakeasy. Like a, yeah, like a craft cocktail yeah. bar. Yeah, totally. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and his haircut, Adam was like, how oh, did he cut. get this haircut without electricity? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> he need clippers for that. Yeah, he's got that. Yeah, he's he's kind of got that uh, like Richard Spencer, like mm-hmm. fashy undercut yeah. thing going on. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we're, I guess that's supposed to be dapper. I guess that's why everyone thought Richard Spencer was dapper when he first came out because of that haircut. <laughs> right. Um, so anyway, so basically they go through a whole rigmarole of her calling the sheriff. The sheriff comes and looks. There's no ghost. The sheriff, the the one man in town who somehow doesn't know anything about <laughs> yeah. this legendary ghost story at this famous inn. Yeah. yeah. What's really funny about that is that she calls him and she's like, somebody's in the house because she doesn't know. She doesn't believe he's a ghost yet. So the so the sheriff is uh, walking through the house looking for this man and says, I don't find him. You know, he must have run out the back. So I'm going to leave. And then she calls him like two more times. And uh, basically, it's after that that she realizes he's a ghost. But the thing about his ghostness is that he just exists now. Yeah, he's completely he's, solid. He's completely solid. He doesn't have ghost powers to disappear or anything. So he must have just been hiding in the house. Yeah, like... <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, and the guy that just didn't find him. just terrible at his job. And mainly he just wanted to make that woman feel crazy, I yeah. guess. They did one of those shots where you, you're like in his point of view looking through the floorboards at them. And I thought, he's oh, he's a ghost, he's doing this. No, he was just a man hiding under the floor yeah. or something. Like, yeah, yeah, it was Yeah, because so they make a big deal about how he's completely physical now, but then they play that that gag as if he can just disappear and reappear at will, which he does a couple more times also. So it's like he's a physical man, but because he's a ghost, I guess he can disappear sometimes. Because yeah. otherwise he's just hanging out in like a cedar closet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, so then he, she, she like doesn't believe him. Oh, yeah, that's how she proves. Yeah, then the guy is like, oh, I'll prove it to you. I'll walk you, I guess, to the end of the property line, which is the only, like, that's as far as he exists physically. But the weird thing about this is, I guess because it's a bad movie, they don't create, they never (laughs) give us, like, an establishing shot of where they are on the property. So they just, they walk out of the inn, out of a stone gate, and then up to these 
pillars, just these random neoclassical pillars. pillars. I thought maybe this was like a mausoleum where he was like, you know, interned or whatever. No. No, that's the end of the property line somehow. It's just these <laughs> right. white yeah. pillars. They just have pillars standing there behind the mailboxes. It's so confusing. And it's like a it's like a big gate too that just opens up onto Vermont Forest. There doesn't see, and maybe there's a path there or something, but I there's don't no know. reason for those to be there. It was yeah. just one of those things where you're like, "Oh, if like this person had ever watched another movie, they would have realized we just need an establishing shot to orient us." about where we are on this property. So we just (laughs) have a sense, because it's all about the property line. Like, that's what this whole scene is about. But we have no idea, like, where we are on the property. So it's a little confusing, but basically he can't exist outside of the property, and he just disappears when he walks off the property. But we lived in Vermont. We drove all over. We never saw just neoclassical pillars standing in somebody's yard. Yeah, it was so bizarre. (laughs) Okay, so then... So, obviously, Kate, at this point now, believes that she's seen a ghost. The old guy returns for some reason, I guess, because he feels bad about leaving her alone with the ghost. Yeah, so he's the he's he's an interesting character. He's the the caretaker of the property, I guess. Yeah. Or maybe, like, the, the year-round innkeeper, even though he doesn't own the place. It's, it's not really clear. And I could not remember his name, so I started thinking of him as just Discount J.K. Simmons. <laughs> yeah. Because he kind of looks <laughs> yeah. like J.K. Simmons yeah. the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Like with like Silver Fox J.K. Simmons, yeah. basically. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, the only distinguishing feature that he has from J.K. Simmons is that he actually has hair. <laughs> Otherwise. Right, yeah. Yeah, so he shows up. They're like talking about how did he end up this way? Is this a curse? Meanwhile, the guy's just stuffing his face with the chicken and um, a grilled cheese sandwich. Yeah, <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, because part of the part of the rules apparently when he comes back is that his senses are heightened. Yeah. So things like like food and music are a really big deal to him. But they kind of pick that up and and immediately drop, drop it, it immediately. Yeah. yeah. It could have been a good plot point, like if they had sex right away. Yeah. But otherwise. It, right, yeah. If they if they had had sex and it only lasted five seconds, or <laughs> or even if uh, I mean they they even make a joke at one point where Kate and J.K. Simmons are talking to each other uh, ab- about him in the third person. He goes, "I can still hear you," which would have worked a lot better if they weren't standing in the yeah, room with yeah. him. If they yeah. had like gone down to the front of the house or something, totally. and he hollers from the back, "I can still hear you." <laughs> Totally. Yeah, that would have made so much more sense. Yeah, I did feel like, why is this line? You know, there were a couple times that I felt like, oh, the writer put a joke here and nobody making the movie realized. And they just didn't (laughs) play it that way. Um, So then, uh, basically, now everyone's devoted to helping the Christmas ghost figure out why he's a Christmas ghost. Um, So, like, what? Yeah, he, he goes from being incredibly cranky about anybody being there right to completely accepting everybody else's presence so fast yeah that it's amazing that nobody have, nobody has ever tried this yeah. before <laughs> yeah because you know, basically kate tells him like well i believe you're a ghost so maybe if we figure out why you're a ghost you'll be able to like cross over you know like follow she she literally uses the like fall, you know go into the white light yeah yeah um cliche and immediately he's like, okay. And also, yeah. apparently, he becomes okay with everybody else being in the hotel, which yeah. is the one thing that he never wanted. He never he never thought about 
trying to solve the mystery, I guess. Yeah, he says that he talked about it with his, like, cousin, but they could never figure it out. Although then later on, we find out his cousin died, like, the next Christmas or something like that. So it's like, how did this work out? (laughs) Was it his cousin or his... No, it was his brother. Okay. The cousin disappeared. Okay, yeah, so... Now we have to introduce yeah. the whole mystery. Yeah. <laughs> um, that that uh, Daniel, Daniel the ghost. Yeah. Hunky Daniel was a, a a fairly respectable man, but he was also a rum runner, which right. wasn't exactly the same thing as being a bootlegger, oh, right, right, right. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> that he he basically just he used the inn as kind of a stopover point for his his fail son like punk cousin harry right to to move bootlegged alcohol from yeah. Canada. and from montreal uh and and he fell in love with a woman named lily who his brother also had a thing for yeah i don't remember the brother's yeah. name also every uh, romantic woman in the past was named lily have you noticed that before <laughs> when you watch movies well it's exactly street. like how yeah every every plucky young lawyer character is named kate yeah exactly like, ever. <laughs> yeah. always my totally. cousin, who's a lawyer, is named Kate. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it actually comes, it, it, uh, it's still required in 35 states that when you pass the state bar <laughs> yeah, as, a, as a young woman, uh, professionally motivated, you have to change your name to Kate. Yeah. yeah. That's the it's only like thing that the last uh, name like the Hallmark audience can deal with. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, so we get this this mystery about... He he was supposed to leave um on on December the twelfth, right? No, December the thirteenth. Yeah. And yeah. he yeah. was gonna leave for Montreal and help out with this one bootlegging operation. But he had promised his betrothed Lily that he wouldn't do that. Uh and there's a big scene about him promising not to do it and then he did it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And uh then, you know, he's gone for like you know, basically like 12 days. Yeah. You know, at one point he's telling Kate about this and, uh, cause I guess Daniel said he wasn't going to do it, but then he disappears for 12 days. So it's obvious that he was doing it right. Yeah. But he's telling right. Kate this and, and she's like, Oh, women always know. She definitely knew what you were doing. It's like, it's the most obvious <laughs> thing in the world. Yeah. What else, like what else would she have assumed he was doing after? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so he comes back after like 12 days. It's Christmas Eve. He's taking a beat before walking into the inn to look upon his beautiful Lily, uh, who is standing on a porch lit by Christmas lights. Again, not uh, true of the time period. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, there was electricity. I looked it up. I oh, tried yeah, to find Adam out. Oh, yeah, I went into a deep dive. Was there about electricity this? in rural Vermont then? <laughs> Probably not. I couldn't find out for sure. Well, not in rural Vermont, yeah. <laughs> right. um, not until Roosevelt. Well, but it's, a, it's a big, beautiful yeah. inn. I mean, it's, it was obviously a profitable establishment. Yeah, I just don't Plus, think Plus, I mean, he was, making all the, he was making all that rum running money, so yeah, they, yeah. they probably got that place wired pretty That's fast. True, maybe. maybe, maybe. Maybe they were ahead of the curve. Um, but so, anyway, he's, like, watching, then she comes out, or, I mean, she's out, then his brother comes out, and he, like hugs her and that's where it gets like yeah scandalous drama what's going on right um and so he's watching this scene from afar thinking oh my god what did i just see and then he's hit over the head with a rock and he dies (laughs) yep dull wet thud he just falls down and dies immediately (laughs) 
Um, so the mystery is who killed him? Because that is why how head wounds work when you're... What was going on with Lily and his brother? And why can't he move on? <laughs> Sorry, what did you say? Oh, I said, because that's how head wounds work as long as you're a bootlegger. But <laughs> yeah. if you're a young plucky lawyer, head wounds are a thing that you can just kind of make a couple of jokes about and then never come back to yeah. again. Yeah, totally. Yeah, the head, the consist. there's a lot of inconsistency with head wounds in this, uh, in this tale. <laughs> Well, it's very it's very Scooby Doo in yeah. that in that aspect, and actually, I, I appreciate that because it's kind of on brand for a, for like a goofy Christmas ghost story. Totally, totally. So yeah, basically the the whole point from here on out is to figure out um, who might have killed him, and also at the same time, I guess. But uh, one thing that was kind of missing for me, wh- like I guess at this point, he's also opening up his heart or whatever. But like, and and we see that through the fact that he like welcomes the after a while the proprietor of the pub that lost I don't know power or whatever. Molly. Molly, yes. But what we never really get is any scenes where he and Kate discover like, oh, we love the same book, or we've read the same philosophers, or we like the same music, or. They have Something. literally nothing in common. Yeah, anything that it might nev- just... It never tries to give them a commonality. Yeah, something in common. Or some they have a shared experience that brings them closer together. There's nothing like that. It's just that she now believes in ghosts and wants to help him figure out who killed him. Yeah, it's really just like, we all know what this movie is about and what happened, so we don't have to make it happen. We can just assume. <laughs> right. That's what I was saying to Adam. This movie feels like dream logic to me, you know? It's sort of like, you you know things that aren't being said and they don't have to be said, and you're just sort of on this like lazy river being carried through the story, but the specifics don't really matter or make sense half the time and sometimes that's exactly right i think that's exactly right it's like going on an amusement park ride of a movie you've already seen where it's just gonna hit the high notes but never like fill in all of the the interstitial stuff that makes those scenes make sense yeah yeah exactly so yeah we don't really know why but for whatever reason they are starting to fall for each other and Kate is more and more invested in figuring this out. And then she gets a call from her boss that a senator has died. And it's all hands on deck. So she's got to go immediately back to Boston, leaving, uh, what's his buns, Daniel behind. And they've yeah, already her boss, her boss takes a really weird, because he starts <laughs> out the whole thing on like, I'm going to send you on this kind of uh, like almost a waste of time sort of project. We, ne- we need to get this done, but it doesn't feel very urgent. And... I'm going on vacation to Tahiti or something. Yeah. And then all of a sudden her boss takes this really weird, like Ebenezer Scrooge at the beginning of A Christmas Carol turn, (laughs) where he becomes this like awful taskmaster where he's like, you're not going to get that promotion. We'll have to fire you if you don't (laughs) like get back to town immediately. Like everyone has to work. It's also not clear why he calls her back, right? Because she didn't accomplish the task he sent her there to do, which is appraise the house. And or get an appraiser to appraise the house or whatever. And it's not clear how she's going to do a better job accomplishing that task from Boston now. Just again, right. makes the, the details don't make a lot of sense. 
<laughs> well, I think she she gets called off of the the in project, right? Oh, and, okay. In order to come back and work on whatever you do for a senator when he dies, I that's not made clear. It's just like <laughs> yeah. senator died. Every it, all hands on deck. Yeah. Like, okay, we're just supposed to assume that like when a senator dies, that requires a lot of legal work. I don't know. I, I guess. Um, but yeah, then then he kind of sends her back. Kind of not really. He's like, this still need the appraiser thing still needs to get done, and then we need to put the place up for sale. But you're gonna do that from Boston and not like be yeah. at the house anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wasn't clear because she goes back to the house, and I wasn't sure if it was like, oh, I'm defying it. I'm defying work. I'm gonna do what I want to do. I guess it is because. Oh yeah, no, no. Can can we take a little break because like. The last act of this movie is going to require at least as much time as we've talked already. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Okay, we'll take a little break and we'll be back. All right. So we're back and let's talk about the second half of this film. We were, while we were uh, taking a break, Adam and I were trying to think whether we forgot anything that happened in the middle. And I honestly don't know, but I don't think anything major happened either way. Um, Yeah. I forget what happens in these movies because not very much. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there's the, the one thing that happens is, so we've got JK Simmons, uh, girlfriend, Molly, who her bar has broken down and she, she hosts the traditional like Christmas ball. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But she can't do it in her bar this year because of a a water leak or something like that. So they come up to the, the inn and try to talk to um, Daniel Daniel, who who ends up getting called DJ (laughs) because it would be a problem to introduce him as Daniel. I guess. (laughs) That's that's. It's never really made clear why they have to keep his identity a secret. Yeah. Um, all you have to do is say he, like, this is Daniel. He's related to the family. He's not a ghost. Yeah. He's just a guy yeah. who's here. Yeah, it, it's um, not that uncommon anyway, to pass down names in families, but okay, whatever. <laughs> like, it's also not uncommon to just be named Daniel yeah. and nobody has to mention yeah. that he's connected to the hotel at all. Um but he's initially opposed to hosting this thing up at the up at the inn. But then, because Kate buys him a Christmas tree when she comes back, or is it right before she leaves that she buys the Christmas tree? I, I think it's before she leaves. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because it's that's the scene that leads into there's another ghost at the inn, a, a malevolent one right. that does like crazy lost smoke monster stuff in the bathroom and slams doors and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So basically, like, yeah, there's now potentially multiple ghosts. She thought that it was Daniel being mad at her or something. Although, again, he's solid, so it's not totally clear how he would be doing that. But she just is like, I guess that's some ghost shit or whatever. Yeah. Also, well... Go, Go ahead. <laughs> uh, well, I was just gonna say while she's gone, he Daniel has the house appraised. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. was surprising to me because he doesn't know what's going to happen. Like if somebody buys the property and bulldozes the inn, <laughs> is he going to be is he going to be yeah. trapped in that nightmare zone where when he's not alive for these 12 days, he says it's like a living nightmare. Yeah. So he's like already ready to just 24 7, 365 live in that <laughs> living nightmare for Kate. Mm hmm. Yeah. Wait. So that was that was my question. Do they do they make it clear what happens when he's not alive for that twelve days? I don't remember that. Yeah. He just she says asks it's bad. him. She's like, "So what is it like when you're not alive?" Basically, and he says, "I think he says it's like a constant nightmare." <laughs> it's like Jesus. But what does that mean? That's like, grim. Is he living inside some sort of like? Lovecraftian, like, or, like he's living in the upside down that whole time, or is he just kind of like disembodied, like any other ghost is? It's. Good I don't question. think they really thought that through. Because <laughs> he doesn't seem to know what's going on in the real world at all. Like he's completely confounded by the idea of a cellular phone. Right. Um, he calls it the special, special device. Makes, <laughs> right. <laughs> the special device, <laughs> which. Must have meant something different when he was, like, actually alive, right? I mean, like, the special device was what they used on women who were in sanitary. (laughs) I know, I know, I was literally thinking about it. Yeah, I don't know. We didn't mention his dialogue yet. His dialogue is just like somebody ran words through a computer thesaurus. (laughs) Yeah. It's so good. They're always like, let's use, like, a slightly more... Uh, like a slightly bigger word than a normal person would use, but still not like, you know, some obscure word that would make the viewers feel dumb, you know? So he's always like, right. I, I don't know, like, what? Uh, now, at one point, okay, so the, we, we didn't mention Molly's first thing is she's like, I want to host this thing at the inn. Uh, I've got my own bartender. He's really good. And he's like, oh, I doubt that. Oh, yeah. He's like, yeah. oh, really? And, yeah, that and was so, so they basically weird. get into this like bartender competition where he's going to tend to bar at this one little party she's having before the big party. And he says, like, uh, you know, provided I can ascertain the the materials for my, yeah. for yeah. my gustatory presentation <laughs> yeah, exactly. or something. Yeah. And she's like, I have no idea what any of those words mean. It's like, well, <laughs> I mean, most people do. Yeah. That's strange. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I mean, he's talking like a bit of an asshole, but yeah, most of us know exactly what he means. And I think I'm pretty sure the filmmakers are doing that to make you feel like, you know, you could keep up with a hunky thesaurus like Daniel. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) There was also one scene, I forget exactly what was going on, but it was a little bit like tensions were high or something was happening so him and kate were talking really quickly about like let's do this or let's do something and it sounded we both we watched it separately and we both paused the movie at that point to look up if he was scottish because he got the lines out so weird (laughs) it sounded like he had a scottish accent yeah we thought that he was like hiding you know like a a scottish (laughs) accent under his like american one and that it just came out when he was talking really quickly no he's quebecois yeah so i think they just did one take for every scene in this movie (laughs) yeah it's so strange okay he speaks in such a weird clipped way in that scene that yeah they must have just done one, one and time. done, one yeah. and done, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, no, he's he's incredibly wooden in every scene. Yeah. Uh, like, 
when when Kate first has her interaction with the evil ghost and it does like a a very strange uh sort of grim reapery apparition in her bathroom or something and he charges in to say he hears her scream and he charges in and and hugs her and the thing is gone she's like why did you do that and he says i don't know what you mean uh and she's like the thing in my bathroom is like that wasn't me and she's like and the voices downstairs and all the opening and closing of doors or something is like, it wasn't me. He didn't ask, like, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I I, don't, I don't, none of these references make sense to me. Yeah, uh, or there's no, just some wonder showing up on his face or, like, confusion. Yeah. There's none of that. It's just, like. <laughs> yeah, he, he takes everything in stride to the point that. <laughs> You realize he's just a very bad actor. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Good looking, though. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We can't take that away from him. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, basically, uh, they're going to host this Christmas ball um, where everyone is coming. The sheriff from earlier comes. Turns out he's Molly's brother, which I just enjoy that everyone's related. Um, <laughs> oh wait, the sheriff! Oh, the sheriff is the meddling brother. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, yeah. The sheriff made so little impression on me that <laughs> I noticed the the brother in law more than I I noticed him. Um, Daniel. At one point, Molly's dancing with a guy that looks to be about twenty three. <laughs> Yeah, right. Molly's like 55. Yeah, and Daniel's like talking to the uh, J.K. Simmons guy, and he's like. Oh, you gotta like go, um, you know. You gotta go dance, dance with her. With her. This guy swoops in yeah. and takes her from you. And then J.K. Simmons, after like protesting a little bit, is like, "You're right," you know. And it's like, I'm pretty sure that guy was just doing a polite thing and making sure like an older woman doesn't spend the whole night alone. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. He's he's like home visiting from college yeah. or something, and yeah. he's like a friend of his mom's, yeah. like, you know. <laughs> Like, I don't think that guy was, like, your competition, but okay. Um, Also, uh, Daniel and Kate are dancing, and, you know, they're having a conversation. And then, like, at the crucial moment in the conversation, some guy comes up and, like, taps her on the shoulder real hard and just takes her from him. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that was the... I I think that was the uh, sheriff again. Oh. He's really trying to make the most of his cameo. (laughs) I mean, you can you can cut in on a dance, but it's not an automatic thing like that. Yeah. And usually there's some sort of, uh, like, as soon as she gets tapped, Daniel's like, oh, shit, like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the rules yeah, of the game, yeah. man. I got to <laughs> I gotta walk away now. Yeah. Maybe things were different back in 1901 or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Na- 1919. Oh, 1919. His, okay. His year of death. Yeah. No, because the, uh, the security code, I don't know if you noticed, the security code for the hotel is 121319, which is December, December 13th, oh. 1919. I totally oh, yeah. did not notice uh, which, that. That's hilarious. Okay. That's, that's, <laughs> That's a clever security code, but maybe not the best opsec when that exact date is on the like hundreds of articles that line yeah. the inside of the building about the date of death of of Daniel What's his ass. <laughs> yeah. Be like the second thing that you would guess after one, two, three, four, five, yeah. right? Yeah, totally. Um, um so at the party there's a scene where 
um, Molly's like, oh, did you ever hear about Daniel, the ghost, or the guy who died here? And she starts telling the story about how, oh, yeah, he was with this woman here, supposedly. And a month after she died, or a month after he died, she had a baby and she married his brother. So this is where we learn that. Right. Yeah. Everyone knew that it must be a sham marriage because and this is the thing that Daniel's been mad about for uh, almost 100 years at this point, that his brother married the woman that he was in love with, his fiance before he died. Um, but he somehow. And, oh, I was just going to He somehow, even though he's like been haunting the inn and everything, he somehow didn't know that uh, she had a baby. He only knew that oh, yeah, he she had married his brother because he's shocked by the baby. Right. Yeah. Well, no, it, that's he says that at one point that he knew that his brother and his fiance got married, but he forbade his brother from giving him any <laughs> yeah. other information <laughs> about that situation because it was too painful. <laughs> Even though the brother is sitting on information, would have been would, would you would have made the argument like, no, let me tell you a little bit more because yeah. I think it'll make you feel better. Yeah. But all he wanted to hear, even though his brother was the one who helped him investigate his murder after his death, yeah. all he wanted to hear was, "You married my girlfriend." Also, Lily died in childbirth, so he came back as a ghost and never asked what happened to her. Yeah. Yeah, this was like all news to him 95 years later. So I guess not. I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which really casts uh, his his initial objection that like, no, we shouldn't look into this. I've tried that before. It, it kind of casts that into a bad light. Right? Yeah. Like, how hard did you try? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't seem like you tried very hard at all. No, he's... you didn't even know what happened to your wife. <laughs> <laughs> he's just spent 100 years eating Christmas dinner over and over. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> uh, now I wonder what the I wonder what the ghost physics of that are like. If you if you only came back for twelve days every year over a hundred years, and you were a physical being during that time, and then you like went back to sleep for the rest of the year, doesn't it seem like if you spent that entire time eating, you would progressively gain weight? You would become like a fat ghost. Yeah, or at the minimum, what happens if you don't take a shit before the next time you disappear? <laughs> but is it like a year later you just have like the most massive? They never clarify whether he shits oh or not, but he must. Imagine being yeah, well, on the toilet and thinking like, "Oh yeah, man, can't believe I'm a ghost." Or being on yeah. the toilet and being like, "Man, the last time I took a shit was a year ago." <laughs> yeah. He's alive and he has heightened senses, but he doesn't sleep. Oh yeah, that's right. He can eat whatever he wants, and as far as we know, he doesn't shit. So, <laughs> yeah the the theology of this is completely <laughs> incomprehensible. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so what happens next? So they decide to have the party, and uh, Kate comes back. Oh yeah, that's what we were going to talk about. Was so. Kate's whole motivation has been being career driven and she does go back to Boston. Oh, right, right. And then her boss is like, you're going to stay here to work on this, uh, this project, but you're going to do it from a distance because you didn't get anything done while you were there. And then she leaves. She, she shows back up. He's a, Oh yeah. He has heightened senses, but apparently he can sleep outside in the snow all night in just his shirt sleeves. Yeah, I noticed that too. I was like, wait, why is he like does he just want to feel being cold? Maybe that's like the most alive you can feel. (laughs) Right, yeah. Sleeping in the snow in your shirt sleeves. 
And presumably he can't die, right? Since he's already dead. So yeah, yeah. that's true. I don't know. Maybe it's a like a like a self punishment thing. <laughs> um, anyway, he hears he hears a. Uh, like Jingle Bells or the 12 Days of Christmas playing inside the house on the piano and he goes back in and Kate's back. Yeah. And Kate apparently has abandoned her job to come back here and yeah, I guess solve the mystery and also be with him for 12 days a year for the rest of their lives. Yeah. They don't talk about her leaving her job, do they? I don't remember. I no. felt like they didn't say anything about it. Well, it's it's just kind of it's kind of built into you know what her boss tells her and he's priorities kate priorities becomes a, a right. word that gets used a lot in the last yeah. act of the movie that i don't think they really earned by setting it up earlier <laughs> yeah. um but yeah priorities kate and then she gets back there and she's like well i had to come back you know priorities yeah. and ever everyone in the studio audience is like priorities this is the thing that we just learned about Woo. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so she's back. They're going to figure out what happened. The Christmas ball happens. I guess she, yeah, I guess she just decided, like, this is more important. I mean, to be fair, like, if I discovered that ghosts suddenly exist, I might, like, question how important is, like, my material <laughs> reality, too, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so at the party, uh... At one, oh yes, that guy cuts in to dance with her. And then like while he's dancing with her, Daniel's just like standing to the side. And then like a black gloved hand takes his hand to like hold. Right. And it's- The creepy ghost. Yeah. Maybe. But well, is it the creepy ghost? Because then it turns out, then all of a sudden the, the that hand slips away and then he goes to follow the hand. And then he sees a scene play out between Lily and his- Brother. brother and it's about daniel and he says a man can't change his spot or a, a leopard can't change his spots lily and she says daniel's not a leopard he's a man <laughs> 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 and, and so and then she women goes, didn't go to school back then she's never heard of a metaphor <laughs> yeah she like literally <laughs> yeah which is and that's and that's the point where she says uh like I'm I'm looking for a miracle, like you know. It, um, she basically oh, right. like wishes a miracle into existence, and we're gonna have to talk about what that miracle actually was. Yeah. The rest of this is almost almost illegible. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, after that, they end up going onto the porch, which is the scene we saw at the beginning and a couple times throughout, actually, where he's looking from afar and he sees them embracing. It's because he's comforting her because her husband you know, decided to right. go on this dangerous right. journey. Before we just saw it from Daniel's um, point of view before he gets hit in the head with a rock. Yeah. But this time we're on the porch. So we hear them talking and her brother's just, or his brother's just consoling her. Yeah. That Daniel's gone. Yeah. And then. Yeah. It trying to, I mean, kind of lightly saying that, no, he's actually a piece of shit. You should give up on him. And she says, no, I don't believe that. And in fact, you know, Christmas is the time of miracles. That's that's when miracles happen. Yeah. Also, did you guys notice that you do hear the wet thud again from a distance? <laughs> no. Like oh, right, I at wish the, I had. right at the end of that scene, <laughs> right at the end of that scene, you hear this like thwack <laughs> thud of like him getting whacked and falling Lots over of in the dark snow. Sound effects. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, some 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 Dolby creator. Yeah. 
read the script and was like, I'm just going to do the most absurd thing right here because the, this this movie is insane. Yeah, we'll end this scene with the sound of death. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so he goes back inside and the dance is still going on and Kate's dancing with the sheriff still. And you you hear somebody whisper, like, who wasn't there that night? Because yeah. they've had all these suspects the whole time. It was It was Lily. It was the brother. It was the guy that they were going to go to meet in Montreal. Uh, who uh, was like this big time gangster. Yeah. Uh, it, it, somehow nobody ever suspects that it might have been the cousin, the kind of like asshole cousin with a bone to pick. Uh, and uh, the the guy who's uh, it has already been yelled at at least one time, at least to the extent that Daniel's able to yell at anybody. <laughs> yeah. And he shows up at the party. Right, yeah. So, yeah, it, it turns out there, yeah, like we said, we thought there was one Christmas ghost. There are, in fact, many Christmas ghosts. Yeah. At least three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, I don't know if we mentioned, the cousin is the one who got him into the rum running. Yeah. The bootlegging, yeah. Connected him with that criminal in Montreal. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. Co- cousin Harry. Yeah. Oh. So he confronts, cousin Harry suddenly materializes um daniel sort of confronts him but basically cousin harry just crumbles and immediately admits to it and <laughs> right <laughs> says sorry i loved henrietta you know my newborn daughter that we've never mentioned before i mean all of this is so unearned oh, yeah. oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> all of this is just like here's a whole host of characters we've never discussed mentioned no setup but it turns out they're deeply important to the motivations of the characters <laughs> in the plot. <laughs> uh, so right. yeah, so basically he had a newborn baby and a wife and the rum runners thought that because, because Daniel decided to leave early because he loved Lily so much. So they were worried that he was yep. going to tell on them and that he wasn't really trustworthy because he just like pieced on out of their operation unceremoniously. And so they told him to kill his cousin or else uh, they would kill Henrietta, Harry's baby, Um, which he did do, apparently. And then that's, is there anything else? Okay, so, so, yeah, so let's, let's unpack that. So, so in that scene, uh, Daniel forgives Harry. Yeah. Right and away. Harry is also apologizing for being the the malevolent spirit spirit that has been holding Daniel on the material plane all this time because he's afraid to like face judgment for what he did. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then Kate I forgot calls about out. Daniel. It's Daniel so weird. Also, yeah. Daniel also says that the thing that's been keeping them there the whole time is him. But then, just previous to that, they talked about how. It wasn't a curse that was keeping them there. It was Lily's blessing that kept them there. So basically, you've got like three different competing theories about why they're (laughs) all still there. Yeah. It could be that Lily uh, wanted to give him a Christmas miracle. Yeah. That he would learn the error of his ways. Except he already did. Like the reason he was coming back early at all was because he had repented of his ways and it was headed back. Um, it could be him, his guilt, keeping him there, except that doesn't make sense for exact 
exactly that same reason. Like he had already made amends and was coming back. And so maybe it was his rage at his brother, I guess, keeping him there. But he didn't. Um, or, oh, yeah. Or it was Lily's Christmas curse slash miracle for him to learn a lesson. All of this unresolved shit is about seven minutes out from the end, too. <laughs> like, right. We've spent so much time in this movie basically floating through, and now all of a sudden they're like, let's throw seven different theories at you, and we'll just try to wrap this up in, like, the next five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's never even made clear whether it was the ghost of Harry or the ghost of Lily who was doing all the spooky right. stuff in the house. No, when the, yeah. When the movie decides to take its weird, like, horror movie turns just a couple of times for a few seconds apiece, it's like, oh, we're in a mm-hmm. horror movie now, and then it just goes away, and they just completely ignore it. Then we're back to Chris- cozy Christmas in Vermont. Yeah, they should have done more right. horror yeah. stuff. That would have been interesting. They really did switch into horror mode. They did all the cinematic techniques of building tension, and and then you see the Oh, ghost. it's great. I mean, they're really well-filmed ghost sequences, Yeah, but... But then when 45 seconds later, you're like decorating a Christmas tree in a warm (laughs) firelit room and talking about the nature of learning how to love again, you know, like, and we're not going to talk about all that ghost shit that just happened. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, this is, it could be a genre bending, uh, like Hallmark film, but instead it's just sort of like a sprinkling of horror. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, I like in this part. Well, and then and then we get to the end. Oh, go ahead. Okay. Well, I like in this part when when Harry's saying, "Oh, the crime boss told me I had to kill you." This is the ultimate villain kind of of this story, and he's come up three or four times. We have no idea what he looks yeah. like. We know nothing about him, yeah. and <laughs> right. he's the one responsible for the main character's death. Yeah, and we know like literally nothing about yeah. him. Yeah. 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 Well, and he comes the Okay, so there's the crime boss. The cousin character interests me more because he does get brought up a few times and you know that he's part of the narrative that Daniel has told Kate. And for some reason when she comes up with her list of suspects, Harry is nowhere to be found. And in fact, nobody suspects Harry of anything until Harry actually appears and is like I did this thing. I'm sorry. Yeah. I apologize. Yeah. In addition to all the other crimes I did that you all know about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we know that he's he's like the criminally minded person who's closest to the story that yeah. everybody knows. And for some reason, he does. And, and I think Kate even has a line where it's like, your cousin? Why would he do that? It's like, well, hasn't the brother <laughs> been the suspect this entire time? <laughs> yeah. It's it a lot of this is deeply unearned um, storytelling, basically, where we're just sort of left with, like we were saying, kind of the the typical high points of a movie, but we're not really clear how we got here, which is why it's a little hard to right. summarize too, because I'm like getting lost between those points, trying to remember what happened, how did we get from this point to this point? Yeah, um, all of these I movies mean, the, are like that. And going back to the boss just for a minute, like. He has his own, like, Ebenezer Scrooge at the end of the book moment where he's yeah. like, 
maybe I was being too hard on you. Like, you do deserve a Christmas vacation. And yeah. it's like, we don't know this guy well enough to care. Because she's been <laughs> yeah. basically ignoring him th- this entire movie. I know. Why did we need this arc for the boss at all? Like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, that's right. She easily could have been written as a, uh, uh, like, no luck in dating, um, like, uh, like private franchisee realtor yeah. or something like that. Yeah, totally. Uh, there was there was no reason for this extra plot about her being this high powered attorney with this uh this promotion dangling over her head if she doesn't do everything exactly right. <laughs> they just really wanted that boss in there, I guess. <laughs> well, I guess they want they want her to choose this life in Vermont instead of the city life, working hard. But it's not really clear that she did because yeah. he calls. With the implicit, I think, you know, notion here that she has her job back if she wants it. Like, so she didn't really have to. I mean, she chose, like, yeah. to leave, but there's no real risk, apparently. Yeah. yeah, which we have to circle back around to after we talk about the one plot point we yeah. haven't talked about, which is the very end of the movie. Yeah. Where <laughs> the clock finally strikes 12 on Christmas Eve. And he's, like, outside with Lily, and she's about to, like, take him through the gateway to apparently the Wait, first, heaven. first he gives Kate a magic Christmas kiss that seems to immediately put her to sleep. Did you guys... Oh, that's right. It oh, was yeah. so strange, just because I was like, is this also a ghost power? Like, what? Yeah, and he, he gives her, he gives her, like, a blessing, and it's, yeah. it, with, like, soaring <laughs> yeah. music under her, is like, you know, it... My my Christmas gift to you is that you will find love at some point when you're ready for it or yeah. something. And it's really not yeah, it's not clear if it's just him being like the weird wooden nineteen nineteen guy that he is, or if he's actually bestowing some sort of magical blessing on her. I gotta check on that dog. Okay. Where's yeah. Does she Okay, oh, I'll check okay, on Okay, hold on. Sorry, this dog is Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, so yeah. So he gives her this Christmas blessing with a Christmas kiss, and uh, that basically forces her to like fall asleep. And then she, he lays her down on like this couch chair thing, and then he goes off with Lily, um, and she's telling him how much she like loves him and whatever. And then she's guiding him basically towards those pillars again, towards. Uh, the end of the property line uh, to for them to go off to be together in eternal life, I assume. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then he like pauses for a moment and then she says, well, the choice has always been yours, my love. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then she just like wanders off without him. Does a very uh, like <laughs> towards charmed the light, I guess. era like disappearing uh, special effect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 100%. Definitely looks like when um, one of the white lighters then, disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then he like stops to think about it for a minute. And then we get the next morning, Lily wakes up. I mean, uh, Kate, Kate wakes up. She doesn't know what's going on. She talks to the old guy who is like, oh, I, I Oh, no, she gets that call from her boss and finds out that um, someone is buying the inn. Someone's made an offer on the inn. Turns out it's J.K. Simmons and Molly. 
they're they teamed up to buy the inn and um, are now completely and, in love yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. They're business partners. They're partners in love. They're, they're all in after the Christmas dance. Yeah. Well, everyone falls in love immediately in this world. Like yeah. Daniel and Lily didn't even know each other very long. It yeah. seems like. Oh no, well, that's in true. the world a of these months. Yeah, yeah, in the world of these Christmas movies in general, it's like two weeks and then we hit Christmas and it's time for a proposal. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's coughing season, um, so it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever stage of your relationship you're in, too bad. Hit fast forward. It's time to fully commit. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. So they're like, oh, I hope Daniel's going to be okay or whatever. And then she somehow starts running outside. Okay, no, so the, towards the, the-, the door opens by itself. Oh, oh wow. okay. She's, she's kind of laying I, there I was how under the blanket outside? that he put her under. And all of a sudden, the door opens by itself, and she like she has her spider sense tingling, and she runs out the door, and she looks, and she like walks out on the porch and starts walking down the the snowy path. And who's coming up over the rise? But our Daniel in a whole new outfit. Our boy, yeah, wearing a hat that we haven't seen in the entire thing. <laughs> yeah, whole new outfit. He's got a coat. He's got a scarf. He's got a hat. Right. Boots that look like they're brand new. I was like, did he go shopping before? Yeah. I swear they were Vans. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a better theory than I mean, theoretically, he came back to life at the moment when Lily was like, you've got the choice, like the choice being apparently yeah. like you can pass on or you can just stay alive. Um, yeah. Which means that he hung out outside for, I'm based on, based <laughs> on it being Vermont and how light it was outside. I'm going to say it had to be at least nine o'clock in the morning uh, on Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And he comes walking back. So either he went shopping or he was just like hanging out in a snowy forest all night. Uh, the shopping like one seems hours. way more, way more believable to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So then they kiss, they embrace, and that's the end of our movie, basically. Um, I was a little confused by this ending. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to uh, say by because... this movie. I thought you were going to say I well... was a little confused by this this entire. This entire film. For sure. How it got written, greenlit to be you know, made, who <laughs> produced it, who signed up to direct it and why. All very confusing to me. Um, but I was confused because it's like a movie for women. But here he had this woman he's been in love with for 95 years that he was jealous of his brother for marrying she comes back to tell him they can be together forever and that anyway, this was all a miracle, uh, like her love manifest into overcoming life and death to you know allow him to come back and like experience his life because his yeah. life was cut short. And right. not only does he turn her down, but she's like, that's chill. Do yeah. whatever you want. Well, also, also, like I... She never... I was going to say, also... He never fucking uh, apologizes to her. <laughs> like... He apologizes to his cousin, and he <laughs> and he talks about how bad his he feels about cousin. all of the stuff that he did. But he's got Lily in the room multiple times, and never <laughs> once is he like, "I actually did learn my lesson. Like I had already repented." Yeah. Um, and also, I'm sorry for leaving you with an illegitimate child. 
Well, that's the other thing is she's like, okay, I'm going to go off into eternity with our baby. (laughs) And he's like, cool, 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 chill. I'm going to go bang my new boo thing. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I'm going to like live life and bang this woman who's, you know, 95 years younger than you. (laughs) You go take care of our dead baby. Yeah, yeah. Good what? luck. Good luck in your relationship with this uh, newly reformed, like career-driven twentieth, twenty-first century woman. Um, when yeah. you yeah. still think about like women as being property and not having the right to vote. <laughs> yeah. Also, he has. He's going to have to be like essentially an undocumented person in this country because he has no birth certificate no social security number like how is he gonna like work live i don't know i get hopefully kate's job is as high powered as it's brought out (laughs) you know he can just be like a house husband because otherwise i don't know (laughs) y'all i just realized something bear bear with me here maybe it was a curse maybe lily's curse was to have him like lock himself into a 21st century lifestyle, knowing that it was completely unprepared <laughs> for it. <laughs> well, that that actually that sounds about right because at the beginning of the movie, all he wants is his solitude for 12 days. That's right, um, and he never gets that again. And by now. the end, yeah, and by the end, he's hosting Christmas balls and using special devices to take care of errands, like getting a house appraised. <laughs> well, presumably, so, he's really? going to have to move back to New York City because Kate's still employed. Yeah, I know. That's what I was wondering, too. Also, he doesn't own the inn. Molly right. and J.K. Simmons yeah. own the inn. So, like, what's he going to do? <laughs> I don't know. That's the end of the movie, though. <laughs> We're just supposed to think... Okay, happy ending. Like that's why I was so confused by the end. I just felt like, how am I supposed to feel at the end of this? What did they think they were, you know, in, inciting in me? Like I, I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I, I, I'm. I'm trying to picture what the spirit of Christmas part two would look like, and it, what I'm coming up with is. Kate is a commuter. Ghost baby. Yeah, Kate is a commuter <laughs> wife. Uh, coming up like weekends uh, uh, up to Vermont. <laughs> he still lives there, but the only job he could get was as like a hipster bartender at the inn. Hmm. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Being paid in cash and, tips only. J.K. Simmons and Molly <laughs> are getting progressively more frustrated with how like you're alive now. You could leave, but this yeah. is the only thing you know. <laughs> It's like their grown son who just won't right. leave. <laughs> except he's a hundred years older than Yeah, them. yeah, except he's like way older than them. <laughs> That'd be good. I'd watch that. No, I think it's definitely uh, Christmas Spirit 2, a ghost baby is born. Yeah. <laughs> a Christmas ghost baby is born. <laughs> um... But yeah, so I don't know. Do we want to talk about any of these themes a little more broadly before we? I want to say one. There's one thing we didn't mention. Do you guys remember the watch? What was up with the watch? Oh yeah, she's going back to the city, and he's like, "Here, I have this watch that my grandpa gave me, and I can't open it." So she takes it, and when she comes back, she's like, "Oh, I got it fixed. It opens now." And that's the whole plot about the watch. 
I think that was one of those things like moving through the high points like a dream where it's just sort of like, here's something that meant something, you know, here's <laughs> something that vaguely brought them together, I guess. Yeah. I don't know what else that would mean. Yeah, it's, like, it's a signifier of meaning, but you're right, Adam. They they never do the work to make it into an actual plot. But that's true for I, literally everything in this film. I guess yeah, technically definitely. he was stuck in time. And then when she came along, his clock started ticking again. By <laughs> which I mean his dick started working. No, uh, <laughs> by which... <laughs> But I guess, like, sort of now, because at one point he says, oh, Kate, thanks to you, I'm among the living again, when they're, like, dancing in the inn or whatever. So I guess he's sort of, like, living his life Mm. again. So maybe the clock is a symbol of that. But honestly, like, what they really needed was something more like what I'm saying, which is, like, anything to show us that these two people have grown closer together for literally any reason, whether it's they have something in common, they have a a shared experience. Mm -hmm. Nothing like that ever happens. Well, like, I mean, you never even see her get the clock fixed. So it's it's yeah. not mm-hmm. like it's not like there's a thing that, you know, she knew was meaningful to him and she ducked out of work in order to make this happen on her lunch break or anything like that. Right. Right. Um, yeah, that would have been more meaningful too. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's basically a terrible it's, movie. Yeah, it's it's a very strange film. <laughs> It's stronger than most of these films, I think. <laughs> yeah, definitely. There are worse ones. I've watched a few lately. I fell asleep during one, and Adam ended up watching most of it. Yeah. And he keeps complaining about how terrible it was. Like, every now and then, he'll still just, like, angrily bring up some point in the movie. And I'm like, I don't know if I was asleep during that. <laughs> Most of the movies you've watched, like, there's no conflict in them. There, no. Like, in that one, it was, like, a woman who had a husband, but she didn't like him. So she meets this caterer. And then she leaves her husband and gets with the caterer. And that's the whole movie. Or the one, the princess switched with, is that Vanessa Hudgens? Mm-hmm. Or, that movie is just, they switch places. And yeah. then everything works out. That's the entire movie. Yeah. Well, this one, that doesn't really, oh, well, I guess there was more of it. At least there was a mystery in this one that was like central. You know, it didn't really matter, yeah, but I, it was there, there. There is a mystery. I think it's. I think it's a little bit more infuriating that they introduced a mystery and then it ended up not really being a mystery at all, and all the yeah. answers just get handed to you. And Adam, to your point, I I wonder if the thing is that at this point, name the last classic Christmas movie that was made, like one that you really think of as being. I really like to watch this every holiday because it's stirring or something. I mean, we can all name the yeah. the absolute classics. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life or Miracle yeah. on 34th Street. Or I would story. go as late as like the Santa Claus has a central uh, like that's conflict the, to it. That's the one I thought of when you said, okay, the latest yeah. one. Yeah, that's all I could but, think of. But, no. but, since but I don't then, watch that movie every Christmas. Yeah, but but since then, it seems like... Every Christmas movie is basically like My Neighbor Totoro, but Christmas themed. Like, there are like little <laughs> like hitches in the plot, but for the most part, it's just kind of a really smooth ride toward a satisfying Christmassy conclusion. Yeah. Or you have comedies like Jingle All the Way or Elf. I would watch Jingle All the Way every year. Do you think that's because, um, like, Getting, like, we have, like, such this, like, Dickensian idea of Christmas that it's supposed to be, you know, a house full of, like, kids running around and 
parents getting together, like family getting together and stuff like that. Right. But actually, inexplicably like, warm, like, even though you only have candles on the wall. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that's actually like pretty stressful to get together in our like modern age. And sometimes you have to like travel from far away and you're actually pretty jet lagged or tired or like sure. you, know, you have like family that's like racist or whatever that you have to deal with. I mean, it's essentially the same stuff that you have to deal with on Thanksgiving, except you also all have to buy each other presents and like go into debt spending money on your kids. So right. they just create these like saccharine, lazy river you know, movies that you can just glide through without thinking and, you know, kind of put your brain on like autopilot or fall asleep in the middle of like I did. And it won't even wake you up because there's (laughs) like nothing happening. (laughs) Well, I I suppose in that sense, that's why every character in any of these movies has to be cast as they're a high powered ex professional. um, Right. Where like, Money isn't an object, you know, Kate can somehow show back up at the house with this massive Christmas tree that was probably like 80 bucks that that's not a thing that most people can just run out and grab. Yeah, to say nothing of just commuting back and forth from New York City to Vermont, like multiple times. Yeah. 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 They're like weirdly aspirational in that, like, um, you're supposed to aspire to like the status of these Women, but then you're also, I guess, either meant to feel sorry for them or superior to them in terms of like the fact that they've devoted their lives to this empty thing, their career. But that's what allows them to have the status that you're supposed to aspire to. Well, they're a modern version of the pastoral. Like in every one, they go to Vermont or North Carolina, but it's mostly Vermont. Oh, yeah. Sometimes New Hampshire. And, you know, the pastoral was like um, people in the king's court talking about, oh, it must be so nice to be a shepherd laying around in the fields all day and singing about my love. Right. And sure. this is how that tradition continues to the present day. It's like upper... Well, and, It's all about and, people who live in the city and, and succeed there, imagining how nice it is in the country. And let's not yeah, undervalue actually, that-, that the the audience for these movies is largely a mm-hmm. like a boomer and early Gen X audience who also grew up on the movie White Christmas, which is literally that. I mean, it's like the cr- classic Christmas film about leaving the city and going to Vermont and having this pastoral experience. Yeah. Yeah, I actually read an article a while back that basically, like, we do this every time. We have, like, um, basically, like, a real, like, double downing on, on capitalism. So, like, like our modern traditions of camping by and large go and like this idea that like camping is this great experience every family American family is supposed to do together like um the modern notion of that comes from like post industrialization when you started to have like people who had this sense of like oh we need to get like out of the city and go back to nature once in a while to like and i mean to be fair the cities were like polluted to shit but like (laughs) you know that's somehow going to like restore us and make us um not just like more fully human but more fully like american because we're like going to spend some time on the land and obviously you have like emerson and Mm -hmm. stuff you know these like very classically american poets like and writers going to um, embrace the land and live off the land too and sure this like rejection of the the modern capitalist um spirit and i guess maybe that's what these maybe these movies are in a way like a rejection of the hyper capitalism of 
you know, like shopping for Christmas gifts starting I mean, there's, there's, the day after Thanksgiving, you know? There's almost nothing more leftist than the image of a guy dressed like a 1910s hipster sleeping outdoors in the snow to prove his authenticity. <laughs> <laughs> 100%. Yeah. You know, people really live this way, though. Like when we lived in Burlington for a year, almost everybody we met was like from Boston or some other New England city who they or just Manhattan. wanted yeah. Manhattan. And they wanted to, yeah, live that quaint Vermont life. We lived in. Consequently, rent prices are insane there. Yeah. Sure. We lived in a house with a bunch of like hippie kids. Um, they were like, I don't know, like. 12 of us or something living and sharing this house and um like one of them had like a bmw and her dad was like a doctor in manhattan and stuff like that and it was like you're just role playing you know what i mean like we're living here because we just moved here from ohio and this is all we can afford (laughs) (laughs) you're just doing this because you think yeah this is somehow more authentic or you're going to experience some like communal living situation that when you move back to manhattan you'll have like cool stories to tell about when you're in your like 40s or whatever like falling in love with a ghost I mean, yeah, probably. Uh, hopefully she had some noteworthy experiences for all the roughing it in that house. That house was disgusting. There are a lot of bad experiences there. But anyway. It's a very weird, um, uh, it's it's kind of a weird, um, like, reverse of the, so, I don't know, thinking about, like, guys online who are complaining about women these days. Like, what they actually want is a woman mm. who's basically socialized to about the year 1900. Um, because <laughs> then they they can kind of be in control of that. And it's a very strange role reversal that in this case, it's the woman who's going to hold all that power. Like, she's going to be the, like, the smart one in the in the situation, being able to, like... You know, like, no, honey, you like you stay at home and, you know, take care of the inn and I'm going to go, you know, what's Tinder? Uh, it, it's it, you wouldn't understand it. You don't know what a cell phone is. <laughs> I wonder if his sperm but still works after 100 but years. But that's that's the like, um, you know, Christmas spirit too. we're imagining for them that movie. Mm-hmm. But like in this movie, what we have is, you know, in like if we're looking at a return to Vermont or this pastoral experience as a return to a more authentic self then she's essentially like returning to a more authentic self being like a 19 woman right Uh, that would attract that type of man so she is you know giving up her career she's less in control than she is when she goes back to manhattan or wherever she has a bunch of responsibilities actually he's the one that comes through and gets the in appraised Instead of her, that's, that's right. What she, yeah, like, she doesn't even do. do the job that she's there to do. Yeah, yeah. Her more authentic self is like sort of like being wooed by this wooden man and you know falling in love for around Christmas or whatever. Yeah. But it's not like being a high powered attorney. <laughs> yeah, and I guess to the extent that he has a character arc at all, it's that he should have taken care of this woman in his life instead of taking this risk to make money he should have realized his responsibilities as a man towards a wife yeah 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 so it's like very conservative actually (laughs) 
I don't know. It's hard to make anything out of this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're definitely reading. sorry. I, I I went silent there because you guys kind of broke me just there. Like I I knew that this this movie had deeply conservative values, but I hadn't gone quite that deep on it. And <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I imagine her continuing to work. I don't think she's moving. Okay, here but to... that's not what they showed us. What the what the artists the artists, (laughs) you know, the the creators of this film wanted to show us was this specific instance in their lives or her life and his partial life where, you know, she returns to to the earth, basically, to nature, to be an authentic woman away from the fakeness of the city, right? Away mm-hmm. from the boss that was sort of nice to her, but then is like willing to threaten her the minute she, right? He's fake. Like he, her job sort of requires her to be fake nice yeah. to the innkeeper, to the appraiser, whoever, like, and then here she is like learning to be authentic with Daniel, I guess. Although again, we don't get a single <laughs> scene no. of them. Like, no, I was going to say, if, if- uh, one thing that they do seem to have in common is that she likes it when he cooks pancakes. So <laughs> okay. you get a little, you get a little gender reversal in roles there also. Uh, but yeah, she's apparently they make enough pancakes for like 18 people and they keep them all in the cast iron oven. I assume because they were filming on, on location and wanted to be able to show this beautiful cast iron oven. That's the only reason that that appears in that scene. But but she likes yeah. it when he cooks. So <laughs> you know, maybe there's maybe there's hope yet. Yeah, maybe maybe. I yeah. mean, listen, I'm rooting for these two crazy kids. He's got a long way to go. He's got a <laughs> lot I just to learn. Think, yeah, the values of this movie. <laughs> I mean, this is the values of a lot of these movies. The only one I've seen that is like a role reversal is Christmas in the Smokies, where were the Smokies? Like West Virginia? It's, I mean, it's it's North Carolina. Carolina? Eastward edge of uh, Appalachia. So, yeah, Virginia, North Carolina, West Virginia. Okay. Well, so she's somewhere there, you know, down home country. And she has, like, a farm that she's, like, stayed to tend with her elderly parents. And the guy, the main guy, uh, left to try to go become, like, a country music singer, but is kind of, like, like a middling country singer and then makes a fool of himself on a Dancing with the Stars type reality show and then comes back. (laughs) So in that case, we have, like, a guy who's inauthentic that has to come back to the country and she's the authentic one. But every other time, it's a <laughs> woman being told, like, to calm down, uh, to wear more clothing. There's yeah. there's one where, uh, also in Vermont, also an innkeeper, I think it's a Christmas <laughs> inheritance, but she didn't, like, pack enough clothes, so she's always cold. So in addition to being told to calm down, she's told to wear more clothing. Cover up. Yeah. <laughs> so we have a lot of these uh, very conservative themes in these films, I think. But I enjoy watching them anyway, I mean. <laughs> yeah. At least to fall asleep, too. <laughs> so uh, we don't want to be too, too down on these, because obviously they're very popular because they keep making a ton of them. And as I said, I've definitely watched 
plenty, especially this Christmas for some reason, or this Christmas season, I should say. So uh, we wanted to just talk really briefly about um, what, if anything, presumably something, makes these <laughs> Christmas movies good and why they're so attractive and, you know, why why there's so many probably, right? Yeah. And I don't really know what I think. I mean, the easy answer is like, oh, I can just like relax and turn my mind off and enjoy the movie, which is true. But I like I was saying that to you earlier and you said like, well, then you could just watch like, you know, YouTube videos of trains or whatever. If yeah, it was just, just about like, relaxing and watching. Yeah, I don't images. like that as an answer in general. So turning your brain off. Yeah. So what do you think? Or what do you think? Well, is yeah, is there something to the idea that this kind of movie, as much of uh, as much as they're kind of poorly made, poorly written, they harken back to a thing that everybody kind of desires right now. That what we're looking for as a as a culture, kind of a collective unconscious, we're looking for stories that. Uh, Go back to, like, the traditions of our youths, maybe, or mm-hmm. maybe hearkening back to an earlier time, or even just a basic love story. Like, everyone's kind of lonesome right yeah. now, and is is there any better time to have a, a relationship blossom and feel like a real gift or a real miracle than Christmas time? Which, right. you don't have to be religious to understand the spirit of Christmas. Yeah, that must be... That must be a good answer. I mean, a lot of these movies really don't have anything to do with the Christmas. Like, this movie, it could have taken place at any time of year. And a lot of these movies sure. for women on Netflix or Hallmark, whatever, are, are like that. Christmas isn't part of the plot, but it's part of the setting. Well, So it must be important for some reason. People always talk about how during Christmas, you know, you can feel a heightened sense of loneliness when everything is so... Mm. Um, over focused on like family and relationships and yeah. i think also that this time well of- it also comes at a, a it also comes at a terrible time of year i mean this is the uh, we're right around the winter solstice which is yeah. where both christmas and new year's used to be pegged which means the shortest day of the year so like seasonal affective disorder yeah. Uh, yeah. and i'm not making a joke like everybody gets kind of depressed in the winter we're supposed to be hibernating yeah totally yeah. You know, I think that there's also a sense that uh, because everything's like decorated and you have like twinkly lights everywhere, obviously like not so much down here, but like when we've lived up north, you know, everything you wake up in the morning, everything's covered in snow. It looks like almost like Mother Nature has like frosted everything, you know, and so everything can like look sort of romantic. And I think that there is also maybe a sense there just of some pressure or feeling that you're missing out right like you have anxiety i guess because our lives are i mean to in the sense of the christmas ghost right our lives are very short and i think anytime we have anxiety part of that is coming from a sense that you're missing out you're not doing enough you're not fulfilling the um life that you know the gift of life that you've been given and part of that experience we're told is experiencing it with another person and i think that this is a time of year also you're thinking about the end of the year coming you know christmas marks a year for you know a full year for a lot of people most of us remember exactly what we did last christmas in a way that we don't remember what we did last november 19th or whatever you know so 
Um, I think maybe that also like adds oh, to those Oh, you don't remember of- what you did on the last International Men's Day? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I think that, uh, you know, that adds to the sense of loneliness and isolation that people feel. And then you have these movies. Well, I think. Yeah, where you have like this almost, okay, almost like magical, um, sense of, of floating into a relationship. You're not even trying usually. A lot of times they're resisting it and then they are just overcome with the undeniable passion and love, you know. That is between them and this other person. And I think that's really appealing because you don't have to work for that relationship. I was going to piggyback on your point, though, about a a thing that's particular to this time of year is the way that capitalism has really grabbed on to exactly those emotions. Mm -hmm. So like right now is it's like happy Honda days, you know, <laughs> you have all those like, like car commercials. Yeah. Where, that Lexus uh, commercial like somebody comes year. out and there's a Lexus with like a giant, like, yeah. Like Oprah style bow on yeah. top of your car or whatever. It, it's, it's so consumptive and those commercials are so good at tapping into those same emotions that I'm not surprised that, that people are just kind of trying to make like advertiser driven, uh, Christmas film, like films at all, yeah. um, kind of go to Christmas as their, it's a stand-in. It's an emotional stand-in for things that actually mean something to us. Yeah. It's really well, easy Lexus, to manipulate. Yeah, those Lexus commercials, I mean, I haven't seen one in a while because we don't, like, watch, I mean, we watch TV, but not with commercials. But, like, um, they usually are like a husband surprising his wife on Christmas morning with a Lexus with a big red bow on it, you know? So even there, they're injecting like a special moment in a relationship into the car commercial. And then they're putting a Christmas bow on top of it, you know, like, yep. (laughs) It's like this big gesture with a Christmas bow on top. I mean, it's essentially a Hallmark movie in a 32nd commercial, you know, (laughs) there's, I don't, I don't think there's a more iconic uh, Christmas commercial than the Folgers one about like, like son and daughter have both come home early from college and they're surprising their parents on Christmas morning. But the thing that they surprise their parents with is they put a pot of Folgers on and that's what wakes up mom and dad. And then it's like everybody's hugging and uh, like brother and sister share some really strange looks. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So I was like, what happened between these two? (laughs) Right. Uh, I mean, on set, I I guarantee you they slammed. (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah. So I guess, you know, even though it's easy to sort of poke fun and point out like some of the plot holes and the ways in which these movies are so poorly made there, I mean, it's, it's kind of strange because on the one hand, they absolutely are like a sort of consolation fantasy, um, a, a, a way to like retreat, um, into like a safer feeling space from all this bombardment of like Christmas and romance that we're talking about that society is putting on them. But then on the other hand, they're like reproducing that in a even more unbelievable and unattainable, you know, hyper romanticized way that's always going to make your real life experience, even if you have a real life Christmas romance, feel 
it's not going to feel as epic as anything, yeah. you know, as a Christmas ghost coming back to life because he loves you so much or whatever. <laughs> right. You know, so. Well, I think it was, uh, I think it was off mic that, uh, Matthew, you were saying you like the dream logic quality of these movies and picking into the plot holes is, is going against the, the point. Um, and I think that does get to something that's good about these, you know, if you're talking about them as fantasies too, that's how our fantasies work. They don't yeah. work as like plotted out yeah. plans, right? Five year plans with a, you know specific goals. For sure. <laughs> yeah, if these are supposed to be yeah. fantastical, we should just get what we want without having to, you know, do necessarily all the making a list and Right. The only yeah, the only problem that I see with that is that they are both like kind of rejecting consumerism, both in terms of like, uh, you shouldn't have to work so hard. You should be able to go back to the Vermont. past, right? <laughs> and experience your most authentic self and have this really meaningful relationship. But then also the experience of producing these and watching these is a consumptive capitalist experience that you're participating in. And so in a way, like by watching them, you are participating in your own. Well, that and all of the, you know? <laughs> all, all of the, at least as far as this movie is concerned, all of the trappings of the holiday are very consumptive also. Yeah. And it has to do with like decorating the place, buying a bunch of liquor, getting the big Christmas tree. Yeah. How many poinsettias you know? did you buy? Is oh, like yeah. a literal question. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's literally a line. Yeah. In it. That's right. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I think that I think it's fair to say that people who watch these movies aren't like dolts that we should just make fun of. You're talking about yourself. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But on the other hand, you know, these movies aren't really, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure that they're like uh, a great, the great refuge that they can sometimes feel like. They're not well done. That's the real problem is that nobody is making them to be good. Right. Nobody is putting like, this their really... effort and their ideas yeah. and passion into it. Yeah. It's not really yeah. like a... But there's plenty of, you know, more like prestige TV shows that also don't have that yeah. like passion behind I guess it. it's just really clear to everyone that the intention behind these is to cash in on Christmas a little bit and like Christmas loneliness. And if the intention felt a little more like... To truly tell a beautiful romantic story. Maybe. I think what I'm saying is there needs to be an auteur of these trashy yes. holiday movies. <laughs> if one person who really cares could get their hands on this format, I found my new, new calling. <laughs> Adam, Adam, and I are going to collaborate on a rewrite of the Spirit of Christmas that will make it. Uh, it, it will be three hours long instead of an hour and a half. But addressing every but plot hole, <laughs> there will be more ghosts, absolutely more scares. Yeah. I think you know that's that's the thing. And that, that's the thing that I, I feel about a lot of these cash-in properties, not just for Christmas, but, like, like the writing behind um, uh, Hunger Games, you mm-hmm. know? Like, it, it, there's a really good story here. Yeah. If you just spent a little more time on it and weren't weren't so commercial in your in your approach to it like i think the spirit of christmas could be a nice little story you yeah know? it was an actual mystery and like maybe we would flesh out like how many ghosts are in this place exactly <laughs> and also like i was saying earlier like let's explore some different i mean i'm not like i understand representation isn't going to change the world but, you know, we could have a gay person, even in the periphery, we could yeah. have a gay, bi, trans, and any 
thing that isn't just J.K. Simmons's character could have been a, a gay man. Yeah, in this. exactly. It been great. Yeah, and the and then you know Molly could have been Michael or whatever. You know, like or like yeah, I say, no, uh, Molly. Molly's the the urbane city person who comes here and like teaches this small Vermont town how that's okay that like yeah. Christmas says that like everyone can love everyone. Or you could do a you could do a lot if the main girl was like an immigrant or children of immigrants and she's never had that American Christmas experience yeah. and she goes to Vermont to see the white Christmas and Absolutely. Yeah. That seems obvious. Yeah. And obviously like I was saying earlier, I mean, we have a person out of time, you know, coming to the present to find love. How are we not automatically thinking what was it available to people in 1919 in terms of love? Oh, I know, expressing yeah. your full gay love for another yeah. person. You know? like, Absolutely, yeah. So uh, the Hallmark Channel, uh, since we know that you're listening to Cold Pizza Party, yeah, uh, please contact us. Yeah, we, we have be ideas. Happy to write these screenplays <laughs> yeah. for you. We got the passion. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, cool. I think we can call it a wrap on that mm, little good, segment yeah. there. Well, I've certainly enjoyed watching this one to talk about with y'all. Uh, it's yeah. it's bonkers. It, it's it's not good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you recommended it. I did not. Re- I mean, it would have been a real shame to have watched a bunch of these Christmas movies and have missed the uh, genre bendy, you know, Chris- Christmas <laughs> ghost movie. But- <laughs> That would have been a real shame. I was going to apologize uh, for doing that to you, but you're welcome. Yeah, no, no <laughs> apology necessary. Um, cool. All right. Well, do you want to tell people where they can find you, listen to your pod, see your tweets? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to. So, like I said, my, my co-host was out of town this week, but uh, Brendan and I do a leftist uh, Midwest a pop culture and politics podcast called Liquid Flannel, which is at Liquid Flannel. Um, I also do a socialist food issues podcast. Oh, yeah, I kept meaning to bring up the breadline because uh, the guy who plays Daniel looks frighteningly like one of my co-hosts on oh, really? the breadline pod. Um, That's so funny. Yeah. You should find him. He's at he's at Jujitsu Farmer, and he never posts, but I think he gets away with it by being fucking gorgeous. Like <laughs> I was gonna say, outrageously, but... <laughs> just like offensively good looking. Um, anyway, that that podcast with the beautiful co-hosts and the socialism and the food issues is the breadline, and I'm on Twitter at Matt the Great with a W. Cool, awesome. And uh, obviously, this is the Cold Pizza Party podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find us at Cold Pizza Party on iTunes, SoundCloud. Find me on Twitter at Cold Pizza Party. Adam yeah, is at, at Bone Camaro. Um, yeah. yeah. And you cool. can, uh, if you missed our episode about Heather's with Matthew, check it out. Yeah. Deep dive of maybe the worst TV show we've ever seen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> By the foremost nice. experts. <laughs> Um, (laughs) cool all right thanks so much for joining us Um, yeah it was a treat thank you guys yeah thanks for listening have a good day drive safe we love you goodbye (laughs) merry christmas merry christmas and all the other holidays